My good people, greetings, what is happening, what is going on here on this final Monday in February as we're getting that much more closer to March and to longer days and spring here on the J Reels Podcast. I am your host, J Reels, delivering everything that's going on in the world of sports. It is a Monday, February the 25th in the year of our Lord, 2019, episode number 55. So if you've been rocking with me since day one or episode 25, 35, 45, and now double nickel, I appreciate it. And thank you for coming back and for those listening for the very first time to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports. Thank you very much for downloading, taking some time out of your day to listen to what it is that I have to say. So I welcome you guys aboard. On tap here, we'll recap Sneakergate, as I'm calling it, with Zion Williamson. Last week, the injury in the home game against the North Carolina Tar Heels. You'll get my take on that and why the NCAA is not at fault. It's all about Nike. That's right, Nike. They did it all right instead of just doing it. They certainly almost put the future number one pick in jeopardy as far as his health is concerned, so you'll hear me babble about that. Also, the NHL trade deadline is today. Islanders, will they make a move as they're in first place in the Metropolitan Division? Rangers have made a trade with a longtime player of their own right and Matt Zuccarello. I'll talk about that. Also, the NBA, just a little bit to touch on some of the things. Knicks snapping an 18-game home losing streak. The Celtics losing in Chicago, not getting out of the break on a good note. Also, the NFL stuff with Robert Kraft. Not a lot of information is coming out about that, but you know you got to hear what it is that I have to say about that. And Antonio Brown moving on. I know I feel like I've been talking about that ad nauseum. But we're going to start off this program with Manny Machado parking his Maserati in San Diego for 10 years and $300 million as the news broke down last Monday, pretty much right after the show. The... Next in line is a one Bryce Harper. And for the Yankee fan that for the longest time, and they knew that this was going to come, where they were going to pay attention to bringing in a guy like Harper to play the outfield, well, they re-signed one of their own guys for a long-term contract. And I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But as far as Bryce Harper is concerned, it looks like Philadelphia is the front-runner to sign the former National League MVP, which is not a surprise, but one team that's now lurking in the shadows and may actually come out with an offer, albeit short-term, are the Los Angeles Dodgers. That is the latest coming out of Vegas, the latest coming out of Dodger camp. They want to invest in the rights to procure Bryce Harper, but it's going to come at a short-term deal, but probably big bucks. But as we both know, and all know, for those who are listening, with what Machado got in his 10-year, $300 million deal, there's no way that Bryce Harper is going to sell himself short in this process by signing a short-term deal, whether it's, let's say, four years at $150 million or anywhere along, you know, 120 to 150 So they're going to go for high stakes here. And the Phillies, as we've heard time and time again from their – GM and of course their uh, hierarchy saying that they're going to spend stupid money and although they have brought some players in throughout the course of the offseason but nothing along the likes of a guy like Bryce Harper which makes you question whether or not the Phillies thought that they were going to get one of these two players but knowing that if they do not get Bryce Harper was it a successful offseason for them if for some reason that he does go to the Dodgers and the reason why the Dodgers are in the mix not only do they want to have an outfielder to add to their team. Remember, they traded Yasiel Puig and Matt Kemp in the offseason to the Reds 
But with the proximity to Vegas, to Los Angeles, I'm sure that factoring in. But again, it's going to be about the years and the money when it comes to Bryce Harper. But with the Phillies, I think if they do not become the winners in this Bryce Harper sweepstakes, to me this offseason was a disaster. And you could talk about Gene Segura all you want. You could talk about Andrew McCutcheon bringing him in at $50 million for three years, which a lot of people thought was high. And no offense to Andrew McCutcheon. We all know, former MVP. He's had a very good career, mostly in Pittsburgh. But it was a little bit of a stretch to bring him in for that type of money. So they have made some moves. Of course, they re-signed Aranola to a nice deal. But now, if they were to miss out on this one, and I get that they could still go out and try to get some pitching, which they certainly need after Aranola, whether that means Dallas Keuchel or even a closer in a one Craig Kimbrell. The Phillies right now know that they have to pretty much do whatever it takes to bring Harper to Philadelphia. And if that means 10 years and $330 million, which would eclipse Giancarlo Stanton's contract of years ago when he signed that with the Marlins, then so be it. But the crazy thing is, is, I think about it from Harper's standpoint, and again, this has been going on for ages, so this is not a secret to say the least, but when you look at Harper and his career, seven and a half years in Washington, and him being entrenched in that city in D.C., and even with all the rumors going back to the end of the World Series about possibly going to Philadelphia, it just makes you think that why would a guy go to a rival in the East, maybe not the bitter rival or big rival, because again, it's not like baseball was you know, 30, 40 years ago. But as we all know, it's about the almighty dollar. And if the Phillies pony up with just $1 more than what the Dodgers or any other team, the White Sox for that matter, if they're still in the mix, the San Francisco Giants, doesn't matter. They're just going to go to that team and pretty much at the press conference holding up the 34 jersey, he's just going to say, hey, Philly wanted me more. It's great to be here, so on and so forth. I've been beating their brains for the last seven years, so now here I am, Philadelphia. Welcome me with open arms. Isn't that a little bit strange? Isn't that a little bit odd to... And you know that's how the press conference is going to go because at the end of the day, it's all about the money. Because I would think if Harper would dictate where he wants to go, of course it would be the Yankees, and that's not going to happen, as I said before, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But with Harper knowing that even if the Dodgers were in the mix, the proximity to L.A., and we all know his agent, Scott Boris, don't you think that as much money as you're going to get, and we get that, if he had a long-term deal and he's deserving of that because of his age, but at the same time, it's all about the player. Forget about the agent. He should tell Scott Boris, you know what? I want to sign with L.A. because I'll be close to home. I'll have my family come to L.A. more often than not. I'm not going to play in Philly against an opponent. And again, I understand these players don't care, but you would think that, why would I sign with Philly or even if the Mets... But we all know it's about the almighty dollar. And the only reason why I bring up the Mets because they're also a rival, not that the Mets are ever in play for Harper, but I bring that up because, to me, it's one of those things where it just bugs you as a fan that the agent just has so much power. And we all know Scott Boris has a ton of power. We get that. But you wonder whether or not if Harper's heart would really be in Philadelphia based on him signing there all for $300 million. You know, that's like somebody telling me Jason, you're going to move to Phoenix, Arizona. You love the warm weather. You love the heat. You don't have to worry about having to deal with the snow and all that, but we're going to pay you $10 million a year to go move out there. 
all right, for the money, great. But once I'm out there, I may not like it. I may detest it. And people may say, it's Phoenix, Arizona. It's beautiful. The weather. Jay Reels. What's going on? But just because the money is there and just because the opportunity is there, am I going to just run out there and then have to deal with all the other consequences afterwards? And please, we know Philly, their fan base, how fickle they are. So you know the minute he goes into a long batting slump, he's going to get booed from here to the high heavens. And Harper would seem to be the type of guy, and I like Harper too. He'd play on my team any day of the week, but you really think that's going to sit well with him? Year one, year two, and for 10 years for that matter? I'm sure there's going to be an opt-out, just like Manny Machado has an opt-out, I believe, after five years. So he'll be 31 if he wants to test the free agent waters again. But my point is is that when you have a player like that, and uh, despite the fact it's all about the money, we get that, because the agent has so much power and just so much influence that you wonder if Harper were to sign in Philadelphia, is that going to be the holy grail for him to think that, hey, this is where I wanted to be all along? Well, if that was the case, then you know he just should have stood with Washington if he had that 10-year, $300 million deal last year. And I tell you, it's going to make the National League East interesting if Philly does sign Harper because then you're going to have the Washington-Philly dynamic. We all know the Philly-New York dynamic. And obviously with him playing in the NL East throughout his whole career, him staying put, I think, would add a lot of juice to a pretty stacked division when you think about it. We know how good the Braves are. They're young and obviously won a division, and I'm sure they're going to be on the rise. Philly would certainly boost their team by bringing in Bryce Harper. We know about the Nationals and all the moves that they made in the offseason. And they got a couple of studs in that will be coming up in the outfield to supplant Bryce Harper. And then we have the Mets. Marlins, obviously, they're probably going to win 65 games. But you're going to have four bona fide teams there in the East. And by having Harper stay put, I think would add a lot of juice. But it just makes you think, when you look at the standpoint of Harper and really wanting to be in Philadelphia, I'm sorry. I'm not in his brain, I'm not in his head, but let's face it. If he does sign there, I could already tell that's probably not going to be a marriage made in heaven. Because it's taken him this long, especially now, a week after Manny Machado's contract, you know he's probably going to want to up that by some stretch, whether it's 310, 320, 330. And I don't want to hear the press conference. He just might as well come out and say, hey, I wanted to go where the money was. And if it was Philadelphia, so be it. I'd rather them say that than say, you know what, Philly had been on my sights. And there have been reports that he wasn't really 100% all in on Philadelphia. And I'm sure part of that has to do because he played against the Phillies those seven years in his career. And I'm sure he knows what the fan base is like. And yes, the ballpark is great to hit in. We get that. But at the same time, you know, Harper could hit in any ballpark. So we'll see what's going to happen here in probably the hours and days to come. Because spring training is in full bore. Games have already started over the weekend. And Harper is nowhere to be found on any team, although it looks close. But I I will say this. It's just a shame to think that, let's just say Harper, in his heart of hearts, despite the fact that he's going to get half the years and half the money, what if he wanted to go to L.A.? You know, what if he said, hey, like I said, I'm close to L.A. Um, Excuse me, I'm close to Las Vegas. L.A.'s warmer. More laid back. More his scene style, whatever it may be. But he goes for the years and the money. And I understand the Players Association, they're going to say, take all the money you can. It's going to look better on us in the long term. 
you look at what's happened these past couple of off seasons with these late signings, and you still have a bunch of good free agents out there. I know Marwin Gonzalez just signed with the Twins the other day. He was another guy that was on that list, although he's not nowhere near that ilk of Harper and Machado, but you get the point. And now you just wonder if his heart's really going to be in Philadelphia. Yeah, his pocket is wallet, and his uh, pockets are certainly going to be there, but what about the rest of him? And that's the one thing I don't like when it comes to this aspect of sports. And again, free agency, we get it. You can go wherever you want, so on and so forth, but I don't know. To me, is it a right fit team-wise? Yes, but personality-wise and the temperament of a Bryce Harper for everything that I just addressed, I I don't know. I, I just, I don't see it. But we'll see. He may go to L.A. Who knows? San Diego may pony up. They still have a ton of money that they uh, actually could add another free agent of that magnitude as far as the $30 million a year is concerned. I don't know how well that will go over on the team. I know you know Harper Machado is supposedly you know cool. So that's a long shot. I would think if San Diego were to pull that off, that would be something, especially with their farm system and their players that would be coming up the ranks in the years to come. So we'll see. And uh, I'll certainly, before I sign off, just like I did last week, if anything – as far as developments are concerned, when it comes to uh, Harper's status, I'll be sure to uh, bring it to uh, everyone's attention. Now, as far as the Yankees are concerned, I was startled. In fact, I almost fell out of my chair when I read that Aaron Hicks has signed a seven-year, $70 million extension with the Yankees through 2025. The first thing I thought of was, why did they give him seven years? I'm sure if they would have gotten a four-year deal, Maybe $60 million, that would have been enough. You know, Hicks is 29 years old. I get he's coming off a career year. He only batted 248, but he hit the 27 home runs, 79 RBIs. We know he's a great defensive glove, has a cannon of an arm. I understand they probably wanted him to be part of the fabric moving forward. But knowing that down the road they're going to have to pay guys like Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, Miguel Andahar if he's not traded, Gleyber Torres, Seven years, $70 million, and I get that the Yankees print money, so it's not even about that. But to me, the length of the contract, I was shocked. Like I said, you want to go four, maybe five years? All right, we'll give you that. Seven years. Well, good for Cashman and company. And Hicks is a guy, though, even with his age, 29. So that's still relatively young. I get that. But, you know, he's not like he's 24, 25 where you're giving him that money, A. And then, B, he does have an injury history. Not trying to say he's going to be Jacoby Ellsbury 2.0, but here's a guy that has had his issues with his legs, has had issues with injuries, and you kind of wonder with a contract like that, especially at that age, you know, 29 as he's approaching 30, what's that going to look like, you know, when he's 32, 33, 34? So something just to keep in mind, Yankee fans, when uh, Aaron Hicks is on the show for a long extended period of time and they got a lot of money tied into him and especially a lot of years. But good for him. Good for him to get that contract. Who knows if he was going to get that anywhere else. I would just sincerely doubt it, despite the fact that a lot of the GMs just pretty much throw money at players. I just talked about Andrew McCutcheon, three years, $50 million. And a lot of that, I'm sure, is due because of his past performance. But Hicks, even off that one year, seven years, $70 million, hey, God bless him. Good for him. But uh, to me, uh, I thought it was just a little bit too rich for my taste. And like I said, exhibition season is in swing. I'm not going to get crazy. You know, I know Jacob DeGrand had an out, out, you know, outing yesterday. He gave up a, a run, two hits, topped out 97 on a gun. Okay, fantastic. P. 
Peter Alonso in his first swing in the spring training. Grapefruit League hits a home run. Dead central. Good for him. But uh, we're still early in this. There's still plenty of time. I don't get wrapped up in all that's going on. I mean, Alonso, in order for him to make the team, he's going to have to hit 10 home runs and probably bat north of 350 to make the team. Anything less than that, he's probably going to get sent down, and they don't want to start his clock right away as far as Major League Service is concerned, so certainly keep our eye on that. And uh, what else do we have there? Yeah, that's pretty much it with the baseball. I figured I'd just get that out of the way because uh, Machado and Harper, of course, are the two big fish in the small pond of the now MLB free agent market. Actually, it's kind of big still, as I mentioned, you know, with Keuchel and Kimbrell in particular. But uh, we'll move our attention now. The Should I get to, you know what, let me get to Zion and college basketball first. So I'm going to go from decision gate for Bryce Harper to sneaker gate. And for those who were tuning in for a classic there, Wednesday ESPN, and before you were even able to sit down and dust off whatever your dinner was or have a cocktail, whatever it may be, and you see the phenom from Duke, Zion Williamson, just sprawl out to the court and his sneaker exploded, him hobbling off, situation with his knee, and you kind of thought to yourself, and Nick fans, you can't get carried away because you don't even know if you're going to get the number one pick yet. But still, everybody in college basketball, and I'm sure a lot of people in the NBA were holding their collective breaths to wonder what the status of Zion Williamson's injury was going to be. And as of today, it's a mild knee sprain. So what are you going to do there? You're going to just going to wait it out. You're going to hope he's going to get better and at the same time, get a chance to play again. Now, this situation is so layered. It's multi-layered. From the, oh, should he play again? Should he just sit out and wait till pretty much the combine? All the camps leading up to the draft? That's number one. I'll start there. First off, it's his decision. And I think if he was smart enough, he would play. If he's healthy. I'm not trying to say he's got to go in at 50%, 80%, 90%. If he's 100%, he should play. I think that he's starting to build his legacy here in his one year at Duke. And I think it would be an unwise decision if he chose to just sit out, put his feet up, and then wait for the NBA draft to come. Now, I understand we've seen that in the past. Kyrie Irving was one, formerly of Duke, of course, when he only played, what was it, that freshman year? Is only there. I think he played only, what, 11 games? And he was still the number one pick in the draft, and we know what he's done in his NBA career. Is, Zion, is that going to happen to Zion Williamson? We don't know that. But I would still think, because the college basketball universe is focused not only on that team, but him in particular, if he's 100%, he should play. That's all there is to it. And I'm not trying to say that, oh, I'm going to tell him what to do, but could you imagine that it's just a mild knee sprain? I can understand if it's a torn ligament. I can understand if it needs surgery, whatever. Okay, fine. You know what? If he's not going to come back this year, those are the breaks. But if what the diagnosis and prognosis is just a mild knee sprain and he's just going to be out a week or two and he's going to be ready to come back, let's say, during conference championship week, then so be it. It shouldn't even be a thought that he should put his feet up and take off the rest of the college basketball season and I'll see you come late June for the NBA draft. I think it would be a disservice to him and also to college basketball, but first and foremost to him. Because a lot of people want to see this performer, this player, perform at a certain level. 
And obviously, when you get deeper into the tournament, obviously going for a championship, you know, you want to see him and see how he plays and how he does under the pressure and under the bright lights of a regional final, of a Final Four, or, of course, a national championship game. So when you have the opportunity to get back in that lineup, hopefully he does the right thing and does what it takes to be a part of that. That's number one. The second thing is that you have the whole NCAA, oh, well, they're making millions off this kid and they should pay players. I'm not going to beat this drum because, as we all know, right, we get that the revenue that the university brings when you have players of this caliber, whether it's Zion Williamson, whether it's even R.J. Barrett or Cam Reddish or anybody else, John Morant, Murray State, we get that they're making a ton of money off these kids. And until they change the rules, then fine. Uh, Listen, I'm all for it if that's the case. You'll have less scandal. You'll have less worry about, oh, somebody bought a Escalade or an Escalade for this kid or somebody bought airline tickets so he could fly home or wherever his destination may be. I get that. I mean, that's a whole other bowl of wax to contend with. But at the same time, that's not the case right now. So even though you have the staunch fan or the pundit that's going to say, oh, he should sit out, they're not paying this kid. So, hey, this is what he signed up for. He got a scholarship to go to the school. That's not to say if he's badly injured that, oh, he's still supposed to play. Of course not. I'm not that dumb. But at the same time, if he's able to play, so be it. He's going to make a gazillion dollars in the NBA and with endorsements and all that. I could see if there was a mandate that he had to stay three years and here he is in a freshman year and he's still got two more years to get to the holy grail, the NBA, but come on. So to pay these players, if that's going to happen in my lifetime, it's quite possible, but at the same time, that's, to me, that's just an old wound that's being opened up because of what happened there on Wednesday night. Because let's just say if he blew out his knee and he wasn't going to be the same player. Then all this talk would conjure up and it was a freak accident but now you know let me just get to the real reason why this is a big story and this falls on Nike and to think that he was wearing a Paul George sneaker where he was concerned not only first and foremost for Zion Williamson's health but to think that wait these are sneakers that I wear this looks bad on me because what happens if I go up for a rebound or what happens if I make a quick stop and my you know, foot comes out of the shoe? You know, it certainly doesn't look good. But in all seriousness, what is Nike doing? And we understand he's a ginormous guy. I mean, he's a physical specimen, this guy. Well, so is LeBron James, but you haven't hear, heard of any news with his sneakers having a blowout after making a cut or a stop or anything like that. So if anybody's to blame... For what happened there Wednesday night, it's Nike. And Nike, right now, they've dodged a missile. Because could you imagine if this kid would have blown out his knee or fractured his leg or whatever it may be? They would have been on the hook for this kid. Now, granted, there's reports have come out that he, you know, he does have insurance, that he would have been covered moving forward for any injury that he would have occurred by playing on the court or being in college before going to the NBA. All right, so we get that. But, man, Nike, they have to do a mea culpa of mea culpas. And I'm surprised they haven't come out. I haven't seen any statements issuing an apology towards Duke, towards Zion, etc. 
I understand it's going to be more towards Duke because Duke and Nike have the agreement to wear their apparel. But you would also think that they would come out and say, Zion, we're completely sorry. We'll still send you know the Paul George sneakers, but we'll make sure they're tested or whatever it may be. And not just for him, it should be for everybody throughout college basketball, not just Duke or Zion. This should go across the board. But they're to blame in this because if his foot didn't come out of that sneaker, this wouldn't even be a discussion. But because that happened, of course, the first thing people are going to say, A, how did this happen? B, we've never seen anything like this happen. And C, oh, well, this is why we need to start paying these college players. And all this stuff just pops up. Oh, he should sit out the rest of the year. Uh, Give me a break. So that's why for the people that are out there saying that, oh, Zion should do this, Zion should do that, they need to pipe down. And I get that I'm the one that's coming out saying that, oh, he should play. But I say that he should only play if he's 100% healthy. Nobody's saying he has to go out there on half a leg or at three-quarter strength or even 90%. If he's 100%, if he could jump, cut, run, sprint, whatever it may be, if he's 100% fine, then he should play. Because could you imagine it coming out during the draft? Let's say he takes the rest of this college year off. Duke doesn't win a title. Or whether they win or don't win, it doesn't matter. But now here we go. You know it's going to come out. Draft night, he gets drafted. Hey, so how are you feeling? Oh, you know what? I was actually healthy, but I didn't want to take the risk of re-injuring myself because I was ready for this moment. You know how many people would be in an outrage over that? I know I would. And for those who are saying, oh, please, you're not Zion Williamson. You're not in his body. You're... It's about competition. It's about making your mark. It's about playing a game that everybody says that they love to play and for them to just bow out knowing that, oh, I'm just going to take the downtime and just wait for the draft. No, to me, imagine what that's going to be like when he's in the NBA making millions of dollars. And we've seen it time and time again from players that are taking days off, taking nights off. Oh, I'm not going to play. I'm going to take a seat. Uh-uh, I'm holding out my investment. We see that in baseball. We see that in all these sports. And I certainly wouldn't want to see it here. So, obviously, we'll keep an eye on that as we move along. College basketball, we have championship week is the week after next. Election Sunday's in 13 days. So, for those who are getting ready for March Madness, as that approaches, college basketball, I know I haven't really talked much about, I mean, everything's pretty much been about Duke this year. And rightfully so. I know Villanova, the defending champs two of the last three years, they're hitting some hard times, losing four out of five, including losses to St. John's when they were up by 14 in the second half. And I got to give St. John's credit for the way they played this year. They're actually, chances are they're going to make the tournament the way they've been playing and good for Chris Mullen and company. Villanova also lost to Georgetown during the week. And then just yesterday, losing to Xavier. So they certainly have hit the skids, hit some tough times here down the stretch of this college basketball season. And with Duke losing last week, I'm sure they're not going to be ranked number one. I don't have the recent rankings, but it'll be interesting to see where the top few will be after they're released. And it should be released maybe by the time I uh, sign off, so I'll uh, keep you abreast of that. And uh, that's pretty much what we have there in college basketball. Before I get to the NBA... And the NHL trade deadline, I'll get into a couple of football things. And the last of the gates is Sex Gate. And this team is familiar with the various gates, whether it's Spygate, Deflate Gate, and now Sex Gate. Now, of course, this is for something that is unrelated to football. 
But when the news came down on Friday about Robert Kraft being charged for soliciting a prostitute in a Florida massage parlor, you almost had to shake your head and look at the headline twice and say, huh? And I'm not going to come on here and slaughter Robert Kraft because we don't know all the information. We don't know if this is true, if alleged, whatever it is, and I'm not coming on here to say it is or, or isn't. But the one thing that, and he's free to do whatever he wants, and we get that. And despite the fact that he does have a doting girlfriend, as I'm sure you've seen in the luxury boxes at all these games during the Super Bowl, the conference championships, et cetera, on the field, celebrations, whatever. But put that aside, <clears throat> excuse me, because I'm certainly not the uh, moral judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to this. But first, before we even, any charges are drop, we just need to ease back on it. But the one thing that does puzzle you from this standpoint is, why would he do something like this? Why would he just not go to a regular massage parlor or a regular masseuse or even have a personal masseuse for that matter, considering he is the owner of the New England Patriots, and to go to some sort of, I don't know if it's seedy, I, I couldn't tell you, but why put yourself out there? And before people are going to say, oh, Jay Reels, he could do whatever he wants. Come on, he's the owner of the Patriots. He's 77 years old. So what? Let a man live. I'm not saying he can't live. But think about it. The guy owns a football team. He doesn't have a personal masseuse. And even if he wanted to go there with those type of acts, and not that I'm going to even get descriptive, but I mean, really? Did he have to go to a place like that? Now, there's videotape of him being in there. And having the videotape in there is one thing as opposed to having videotape of any of these alleged acts that had gone on there. And if he's... Not guilty, that I can understand because I'm sure there are no cameras in these rooms and how? where's the proof? Now, of course, if he's getting charged and it's on a credit card, all right, we get that, but unless it's descriptive that, hey, he's getting this type of service plus whatever, then you have a problem. But my point is is that why are you going to put yourself out there? If you have all this coin and we know that franchise got to be worth at least $3 billion, why not have somebody just go to your estate somewhere in Massachusetts near Foxborough and have somebody take care of you for I mean, I don't want to say take care of in that way, but just get a masseuse. And if it, if it was a thing you want to get take care of, taken care of in that particular manner, then why do it privately? Why are you doing it publicly at some strip mall or wherever this is near West Palm Beach? It just attracts attention, and really it's just bad publicity all the way around. And again, who am I to say what he can and can't do? I'm not trying to say that. But my point is is that if stuff like this is going down, do it privately. Don't do it where you're going to be seen. Don't do it where there's going to be recorded transactions of. You don't want any of that. Listen, would you expect that from like a knucklehead kid or whatever? All right, yeah, you can see that. You know, getting caught up in some sort of sting and next thing you know, it's like, hey... My name got dragged into this. Yeah, I did visit this place. Whatever it may be. We expect that from a young kid. You don't expect that from someone who's 77 years old. That's all I'm saying. And again, for those people who say, Jay Reels, I'll please, if that was you, you'd be out. Well, listen, I have to be a little bit smart to think that, well, maybe I don't want to get caught with a typical Robert Kraft with the blue blazer, with the white collar, blue shirt, walking into this place and just saying, hey, can I get the... 
room 16 and uh, have Dolly as my masseuse. I'm not going to do that. So that situation there. And then as far as Antonio Brown, real quick, the GM of the Steelers, Kevin Colbert, came out and stated that three teams have uh, called as far as interest is concerned. He also mentioned that there is no way that the trade would not benefit the Steelers, meaning, or you know, benefit the team, meaning that he's going to want a high draft pick. I don't think they're going to get a number one. If you heard me last week, I think they could probably get a two and a five, as high up as a two, or maybe they could do a three this year and a two next year. They're not going to get a number one pick. A, because of his age. B, because of the amount that's left on his contract. Now, there's no guaranteed money, but he still has three years of big money coming at him. And as it is right now, whomever those three teams are, and I get that he's not going to trade him to the Patriots or anybody in the AFC North, and don't trade him to the Colts either because that's going to be your competition to get to the Super Bowl next year. They want to trade him out west. San Francisco is a destination, as you've seen on his Twitter handle and also in talks with Jerry Rice. Hey, let him go out there, despite the fact that Pittsburgh's playing in San Francisco next year. So you know what? Hey, just go out there, shut him down, and try to beat him. And that's all there is. And hopefully they get the right deal for him. I, it's going to be tricky. Who knows how they're going to pull that off because they try to get a number one for a guy who's worn out his welcome here and obviously is a three-ring circus. I'm sure other GMs are going to look at that and say, uh, yeah, that's the, this is the reason why we're not giving you a number one pick unless they're desperate. So we'll see how that uh, shakes down. And then the Steelers also are not franchising Le'Veon Bell. No surprise there. So they're certainly going to move on, and rightfully so. It's time to move on with those guys. Like I said last week, it's going to be tough to replace those guys. We all know it's a quarterback-driven league. It's all going to be on Ben. And despite the fact that James Conner had a good year, did make it to the Pro Bowl, but he has to stay healthy. And now they got to get another receiver, which they're able to draft as if they're growing on trees. But again, to replace two all-pros certainly aren't going to be easy. And we'll see as time goes on how that all shakes down. As far as the NHL trade deadline is concerned, I'll get to that, then some NBA before we say goodbye. The NHL trade deadline is 4 o'clock today, and the Rangers let go of one of their longtime players and Matt Zuccarello, 10-year vet on the team, which Henrik Lundqvist couldn't even put into words when brought to his attention about what Matt's meant to the team and to him. Got very emotional. Obviously one of the more popular players for the Rangers, but then crazy as, as this is, he gets traded to the Dallas Stars for two conditional draft picks. In fact, one of them could be a first-round pick, depending if the team goes to the, I believe, conference finals or makes it to the seventh game of the conference final or the Stanley Cup final, one of the two. Uh, and they're also getting a third-round pick in 2020. But he gets hurt blocking a shot and is out for four weeks. So... Who knows if he's going to be able to contribute here at some point. Now, again, there's still plenty of time left in his regular season, so I'm sure he'll probably come back. But that was just a weird turn of events, being traded to Dallas and then getting hurt in his first game, and now he's out for a month. So with that, and then the Devils, they traded Ben Lovejoy. They haven't really made many moves. You wonder if the Rangers are going to try to either trade Kevin Hayes here in the next few hours as it's, what is it right now? It's almost 11.30 a.m. here in the East. And the Islanders... Who knows what they're going to do? As I said last week, could the Islanders use some more defense? I understand that their scheme is what's got them this far, 79 points, tops in the Metropolitan Division, but you would think that, hey, if they had another defender or even another goal scorer 
although they're they're final goal scoring, but they their system is more predicated on defense. So they win a lot of these three two games. A lot of these games going to overtime, as you saw, you know, losing to Edmonton there the other day, even though they won four nothing in Vancouver, but. To me, the Islanders, I think they need some reinforcements here. And Lou Lamorello, as we all know, great GM. I know he's not going to pull the trigger. It's not going to be a Ryan Smith like Garth Snow did back in 2007 when he gave up prospects and number one picks left and right. Granted, it didn't turn out to be anything, but still, well, they only rented him. And then Ryan Smith went on to, what did he go after that? Columbus, I believe he signed with, off the top of my head. But the Islanders, hopefully they can make a move here between now and and 4 o'clock. And as far as the rest of the league is concerned, I know Columbus has certainly been moving and shaking, getting Matt Duchesne from Ottawa. They also got another player from Ottawa as well here over the course of the last couple of days. The Capitals got a defenseman in Nick Jensen to shore up their back line. So the division, which looking to make some improvements to try to chase the Islanders down, which I can't believe I'm saying that, but... Here the Islanders are, wondering if they're going to make a move, wondering if anything's going to happen between in the next five hours or four and a half or whatever you want to call it. San Jose's also making moves as Detroit's just have been trading players here over the course of the last couple of days. San Jose looking to get back to the cup as they did it, uh, what was it, two years ago when they played against the or three years ago now, right? Yeah, three years. Think about it. Jeez, time flies. Three years ago when they played against Pittsburgh, because two years ago it was Pittsburgh-Nashville, and then we had Washington-Vegas last year. And then the other story that's going to happen, and it's uh, going to be on the 28th to close out the month, the Islanders are going to host the Maple Leafs for the first time since John Tavares is signed, and it's going to be in the Coliseum. Now, they also come back, I believe, the first week of April. So you're going to see him again, but his first return to the island is this Thursday. And you wonder what the turnout's going to be. You think it's going to be sold out. If it's not sold out, it's an embarrassment. But what the reception's going to be like, I think it's going to be more booze. It should be mixed. We know Tavares was a great Islander. It was just unfortunate that even bringing in Lula Morello and also Barry Trotz, it wasn't enough. He wanted to go back to Toronto to play for his hometown. And, hey, that's what he had to write. He was a free agent. What are you going to do? That's water in the bridge right now. But the Islanders are doing well without him. It'll be interesting to see how the reception is. I'm certainly looking forward to seeing how that's going to be, and I hope it's a sellout. It better be 16-234. That used to be the full capacity of the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, but since the renovations have taken place to the old barn, I don't know if the uh, – got to double-check that, but we'll see. That should be a great setting and a must-watch there for the NHL and for the Islander fan. To see what happens there. And remember the first time they met. Islanders won 4 nothing, So he didn't even get a point on the board. Uh, against his former team. And as far as the basketball is concerned. Out of the break a few things. If you're a Knicks fan. I know with the whole Zion. Sweepstakes. And trying to get that number one uh, overall pick. With the ping pong balls. Your Phoenix and Cleveland. That you're contending with. They did snap a 18 game home losing streak. Against San Antonio of all teams. Winning 130-118. to 118. So good for them as they uh, try to position themselves in the best way possible to get the uh, top pick. And the aforementioned Duke Blue Devil. The Celtics, what can you say? They lose in Milwaukee there Thursday night. And then they, again, lose to Chicago. Zach Levine, career high in points. If you're a Celtic fan, 
you got to be pulling your hair out of your head. All you got to say is this, and my cousin said it best, JD, who was on the program a couple weeks ago. Enough of the talk. Enough of the meetings. Enough of the fake leadership on this team, whether you're Marcus Morris or even Kyrie Irving for that matter. Let's just get this together. Let's write out these last 25 games and let's take a run at this. And as I said last week, the Celtics could be the most dangerous team here because a lot of expectation and pressure is going to be Milwaukee, Toronto to an extent because of Kawhi status after the season, Philadelphia for everything that they've done, Indiana, although a lot's not expected with Oladipo being out, but they've certainly played well, and then there's Boston. So Boston was expected to have a big year. Everybody picked them to go to the finals, including myself. But now I'm not going to say it's crisis time, but you know what? You can't lose to the Bulls. It happens. I get you're going to lose these type of games every now and again. But I'm sorry. If it was on a back-to-back, that's one thing. But they had a day off. They went to Chicago, and they laid an egg. And speaking of laying eggs, what about the Lakers? After beating the Rockets there on Thursday night, they lose to the Pelicans in New Orleans without Anthony Davis, where LeBron comes out and says his team has no sense of urgency. Pretty much put his team on notice. And he's absolutely right with what he said about the team not being familiar in situations like this, they need to learn to be uncomfortable or play uncomfortable, get out of their comfort zone. Without Andy Davis in the lineup, you cannot lose that game. And I get that all the young players on the team, the Josh Harts, the Brandon Ingrams, the Kyle Kuzmas of the world, yeah, they don't know how to play in these type of pressure situations or even playoff-like situations because any, anywhere the Lakers go, and especially with LeBron at the helm, it's going to be like a playoff game with the turnouts, the attendance, etc. So they certainly need to make a move and fast as far as them trying to reach the top eight in the Western Conference to make it to the postseason. And something that someone pointed out on Twitter, and I, I totally agree, and this is not a knock on him, although I'm not a fan of his, but with Houston winning in Golden State without James Harden, without, should he really be the MVP of the league? I mean, we understand his scoring clip and 30 points in a million straight games. We get that. But him coming off an MVP season last year, knowing that Houston won in Golden State without him, is he really an MVP? Now, we know Giannis is probably the front-running favorite to win the MVP for those who are into that type of thing. But that was a statement for Houston after losing in L.A., going up to Golden State and winning. And Golden State has had their issues even. Boogie Cousins has come out and said that you know, he's frustrated. He hasn't been playing well of late. Obviously coming off of the Achilles injury. So Golden State's going to have these moments. You know, obviously they're going to rip off 11 in a row. And when they lose, you know, three out of four, everybody's going to think that the ship is sinking. But Golden State will be there. Although I think this is a year they can get picked off. And I've said that before and I'll say it again. But with my head on the chopping block, I think, oh, is Golden State going to make the finals? Yes, but do I think that they could be picked off? Absolutely, yes. So that's what you have there in the NBA. And talk about some, uh, I tell you, talk about ugly. Here are my over-unders so far. I know I didn't touch on these last week, but right now, if the season were to end today, I'd be 1-5 based on what's happening here. And the one lock is Denver at 47.5. Dallas could possibly make it. I, that's That's my only other hope to go two and four and that's terrible I can't even be respectable or even average because I picked Detroit as an under 37 and a half I should have flip flop between Houston and Toronto 
I picked Houston as an over 54.5. Toronto as an under. Reason why I picked Houston, because I thought that they would be even that much more hungry knowing that they were one game away from going to an NBA Finals with two shots and they blew that, that they would rally around the troops again and make a push. Listen, were they going to win 66 games like they did last year? No, but I figured they would be at least in the high 50s, but that's not happening. And as far as Toronto's concerned, I thought with Kawhi, even though reinvigorated, but still the drama that he left behind in San Antonio, what would make me think that that wouldn't change in Toronto knowing that he's going into a free agent year? And granted that, yes, I know he's playing for a contract, but why, to me, from what I've seen over the last year plus with his behavior in San Antonio, why would that change that much more drastically in Toronto? So that's why I thought that they would maybe have their moments where they're good, but also have their moments where he would take some time off or he would, in case in point, look at Kawhi last year when I talked about Zion and that whole situation. There's a player that pretty much took the whole season off. Yeah, he played nine games, and I'm sure he was hurt, but at the same time, he's like, uh-uh. I'm putting myself on the shelf. Anyway, and that picked Orlando's an under. So, yeah, these, these numbers are just frightful. So let's see if uh, somehow, some way, the basketball gods could bring me to 500. If that's the case, that would be a miracle. But chances are, I may be two and four, most likely one and five, as far as my over under is concerned. And guess what? With the baseball season on the horizon, I'm gonna have baseball over under. So let's see if I could redeem myself with that. Because then in the NFL, I was also, I believe, I was at 500 too. So oof, just some ghastly numbers when it comes to uh, picking these over under win totals. And uh, I think that's pretty much it, people. Let's see NHL. We talked about the deadline stuff, NBA. Obviously, all the Bryce Harper stuff. And let me get to that before we say goodbye as I pull that up as we speak. For those uh, listening, I appreciate you taking the time out to, uh, as I pull up the ESPN stuff. This is what happens when you're doing this live, coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Yes, as far as Bryce Harper's concerned, still the news with the Dodgers. Oh, here we go. We got the Rangers with a trade. So the Rangers trade Kevin Hayes, who was on a walk year anyway, to the Jets, the Winnipeg Jets for Brendan Lemieux and Picks. So it says here, Rangers have traded center Kevin Hayes to the Winnipeg Jets for a 2019 first-round draft pick, forward Brendan Lemieux, and a conditional pick in the 2022 draft. So look at that. They got a number one back. It's going to be low because Winnipeg, I don't know what their record is, but they probably will make the postseason. Rangers are certainly, between last year and all their deadline deals and what they're doing now, I tell you, GM Jeff Gordon, now we got to see what these picks turn out to be. Still early in the game, but he's definitely been a mover and shaker here before these deadlines. Getting a surplus of picks, good for them. And the Rangers, who have actually played pretty good this year, you know, a lot of people thought that they would be at the bottom of the NHL, and they have not been that. They've been very competitive. But uh, interestingly enough that the Rangers ship another one of their key guys to Winnipeg. So we got that news, but nothing on the Front for Bryce Harper. Still, as I see here, Dodgers re-enter the Harper sweepstakes, so nothing new coming out of uh, Harper's camp or MLB in reference to his uh, free agent destination. And as far as the destination is concerned, you know where to get all my information, whether it's on the website at uh, jreels.com, where you'll have all my archive shows and all the archive shows, and not only that, but my bio, what I'm all about, what the show's all about, etc., But even more so, please subscribe, leave a rating, post a review on any of the social media platforms, not only just on social media, but also, of course, more importantly, on the podcast platforms, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, any of those. Please just go on there, subscribe, even Siri. 
Believe it or not, if you have an iPhone, hey, Siri, please play the J Reels podcast, and it'll pop up. And all you have to do is just hit subscribe, leave a rating, post a review, please, because all that's going to do is increase the visibility amongst the vast sports podcast universe. And, uh, of course, at that same juncture, we'll also increase the visibility of the program and gain some popularity amongst all the other sports podcasts that are out there. And hopefully that will attract more guests for the future, which I'm certainly can continue to work on as I produce, write, and obviously host and edit this program for you guys as I love to do week in and week out. Also, all my social media platforms, if you want to send me a message, DM, or even an email, you could do so at jreels on Instagram, jreels1, just a number on Twitter, the J Reels Podcast on my Facebook page, and the email address is the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Spread the word, people. Tell those who love sports, like sports, or into sports, whatever it may be, as I continue to deliver each and every week everything that goes on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the hardwood, the world of the golf course, gridiron, racetrack, tennis court, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are. The J Reels Podcast always comes correct, directed, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the J-Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.